Last week we began uh, this study of 1 Timothy, fight the good fight. And if you were not here last Sunday, um, and if you haven't already, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first message, or you can read the manuscript, which I always post um, on the website. And um, you, there's a button on the website where you can change anything to Spanish. So if you if you prefer Spanish, um, it's it's also on there in Spanish. And so, but I would encourage you to do that because it's very important. That first section is very important to understand the purpose of Paul's letter. It's also a very important prelude to today's message. Um, Our text for today is uh, a a passage that is just rich with good news. But good news in the Bible is only good when it is held up against the bad news. The bad news specifically of sin and death. And I have to say that because it's just, it's impossible to understand the gospel otherwise. What we're about to read this morning is extremely powerful. It's compelling. It's beautiful. But it only makes sense if you first believe that human beings are lawbreakers by birth. And that we are responsible for all the pain and suffering in this world. I saw a quote this week that helps explain why this is so difficult for us to understand. The writer says this. He says, the gospel sounds very strange to a generation that has been told they're perfect that loving themselves is virtuous, that their heart is always right, and that nothing is more important than being happy. And that is sort of our culture, and that is why I think the doctrine of sin really has no place in a culture like that. We don't really know what to think of sin. We don't really have a good grasp of what that word even means. But it is impossible to understand the gospel without knowledge of sin. The whole Bible expresses this. And I want to convince you of this this morning. Because Jesus cannot bring meaning to your life unless you first believe that you have committed treason against the God of the universe and that you deserve, because of that, a traitor's death. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe the Christian gospel. We're just going to look at the first, uh, or just six verses today. Uh, We're going to go through them very slowly. Uh, So as to get good understanding of what Paul is saying. So verse 12, Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. The root word of strength in Greek is the same root word as our English word dynamite. Okay, 
So this is immense power. Paul's saying God has given me immense power. But when Paul says that Jesus has given him this strength, I want you to think of it less like Superman and more like Iron Man. Okay? What I mean by that is Superman is powerful, right? He just is powerful. Iron Man is just a normal guy in a powerful suit. Do you see the difference? So without the suit, it's just Tony Stark. He's, he's smart, but he's just a guy. He's, he can be beaten. And so that's really what Paul is saying when he says that Christ has given me strength. He's claiming the strength of Christ, but it's not Paul's strength. He's being empowered by someone else. This is how the gospel works. But why? Why is Jesus giving Paul strength? He says, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, this is interesting because there's two ways you could read this line depending on where you put the emphasis. If you put the emphasis on faithful and service, it sounds like this, okay? Because He judged me faithful. Because He appointed me to His service. And that makes it sound like Paul earned his place, his position. It sounds like he's praising himself. Well, Jesus gave me strength because I'm faithful. Right? That's one way to read it. But there's another way to read it. You could read it like this. Because he judged me faithful? Because he judged... Because he appointed me to his service? You see the difference, right? You can hear that two ways. You can hear it in arrogance, but you can also hear it almost like sarcasm. And I think the context actually proves that it is sarcasm. It implies a question. Why would Jesus Christ judge someone like me faithful? Why would he appoint someone like me to his service? And the reason we know this is Paul's point is because of what he says next. Verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. So this is a brief version of Paul's testimony. But if you go back and you read the book of Acts, you will discover that Paul has always been brutally honest about his past. The apostle Paul once hated and persecuted Christians. He rejected Jesus as the Messiah. He actually held the coats of the men who stoned the first deacon to death. And so that clarifies for me what he's saying in verse 12. Paul's not bragging on himself. He's bragging on Jesus. Paul's testimony has nothing to do with his own good works. Instead, what he shares with us is his rap sheet. He's telling us about his criminal record before God. Here's why I was a traitor. How could he appoint a traitor to be 
faithful to be in his service. He's telling us what kind of person Jesus saved. And then he continues. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul says I was ignorant. I was blinded by lies. But Jesus showed me mercy. The word mercy is an important word. It means I didn't get what I deserved. God did not give me what I deserved as a traitor. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace, another important word, means I got the opposite of what I deserved. Mercy is, I didn't get what I deserved. Grace is, I got the opposite of what I deserved. I got something better. Instead of punishment, I was rewarded. Jesus rewarded me with faith and love. These were given to me. They were gifted to me. And now we come to the most important verse, verse 15. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That first part of the verse is a way of saying, if you hear nothing else I'm saying, please hear me say this. Jesus came to save sinners and I am the worst one I know. The worst. And this is a simple, powerful argument. He's saying, if God can save me, then God can save anyone. That's what he's saying. Paul's offering himself as an example, not an example of a saint, but of a forgiven sinner. And in his mind, he's saying, I'm the worst sinner of them all. Now, I want to pause here and I want to remind you about last week's sermon. Okay? Do you remember? The Apostle Paul listed off several specific sins. He was explaining the law and he categorically, in order, he went from the fifth commandment to the ninth commandment in order and he gave, in his mind, one of the worst examples of sin from each of those commandments. One of the worst ways you can violate those commandments. Beating your parents. Murder. Adultery. Homosexuality. Enslaving people. He listed all these things off. And now, just a few verses later, Paul says, but I'm the worst. Worse than those people. And it's important to notice that he says, 
I am the worst. He doesn't say, I was the worst. This is interesting because there are other places where Paul will make a big deal about presently not associating yourself with sin. But this is significant humility in this place coming from the most important apostle, missionary, and church planter in the history of the world. And we know it's not false humility because Paul quickly points us to the real hero in his mind. Verse 16. He says, but I received mercy. Again, I didn't get what I deserved as the worst for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. So Paul says, why did Jesus save me, the worst sinner I know? He did it to make me an example. Again, he's saying if Jesus can save me, then He can save anybody. What is Jesus showing us by saving the worst sinner? His perfect patience. I actually think that word patience is very, very important if we're going to understand the text. If you remember Paul's purpose for writing the letter to Timothy, we talked about last week. There's some false teaching going on in the church. And it concerns the law of God. What does God say is right versus what is wrong? And it's very likely that some of the people in the church, especially some of the leaders, are not being patient with the sinfulness of other believers, probably especially new believers. And this may be what Paul meant when he said that they were using the law unlawfully. In other words, not to patiently guide one another towards repentance. But to condemn or to shame people in the midst of their struggles. There's actually a progression in Paul's life that can be tracked by his letters. In one of his first letters to the Corinthians, Paul calls himself the least of the apostles. And you may think, well, that's... Really humble. Thought Paul was the best apostle. He wrote most of the New Testament. Years later, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul calls himself the least of all the saints. Okay, so least of the apostles, least of the saints. Of all the Christians, Paul says, I'm the least. And then Paul wrote Timothy near the end of his life. And he's now calling himself the chief of sinners. Do you see this progression in his life? You see what's happening to him? Paul is becoming more aware of his own sinfulness over time. And I actually think that's kind of a perfect picture to us of what real sanctification looks like. How we... How we grow as Christians, what that word means. More repentance, more faith. 
less pride, less self-righteousness, more dependence on Christ. It reminds me specifically of the parable that Jesus told in Luke 18. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I want to read it for you because it's powerful. It says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed in this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you see, we could take that list that Paul wrote last week and stick it right in there, right? Thank you, Lord, that I am not an enslaver. Thank you that I don't beat my parents. Thank you that I am not a homosexual. Right? Stick it right in there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Jesus says the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Instead, he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. Sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who humbles himself, sorry, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. I honestly think that's kind of the point of Paul's message in chapter 1 of Timothy. He's saying, be careful of using the law as a way to justify yourself because it only leads to arrogance and contempt for others. The people who are closer to God are the ones who know their sinfulness and their need of a Savior. Now again, we don't get to call something okay that God calls sin. That was the point last week, right? We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. God tells us what's right and wrong. Culture may disagree, but we have to stand firm on that. At the same time, according to the apostle, according to scripture, according to God, those who are closer to God are the ones that know their sinfulness and their need of a savior. And what this means for us practically as a church, as Christians, is that we need to be patient with people. We need to be patient with unbelievers. It should not surprise us to see unbelievers doing things that lost people do. Right? We need to to see people with the eyes of Jesus, to see them with compassion, to pray for their deliverance. We mourn the presence of sin in other people's lives. But we don't move away from them. We don't distance ourselves from them. In love, we move towards them. In love, we pray for their souls. We show compassion. We also need to be patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Because the Christian life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. We want to help each other finish the race well. We understand that growth takes time. People aren't converted and then overnight they are, you know, living the life, right? I mean, it takes time for us for repentance and faith to work itself out for us to become more like Christ. And finally, we need to be patient with ourselves. Typically, when we get frustrated about our lack of progress, that's pride talking. It's not the Spirit. Let me say that again. As Christians, and I've been here, I've been here many times, sometimes you get frustrated because you look at your life and you're like, why am I not changing? Why am I not getting better? Why do I continue to struggle with the exact same thing? And very often we get frustrated, not because we want to be more like Jesus, but because of our pride. Be patient with yourself. Absolutely work. Absolutely submit yourself to the means of grace. Be around your brothers and sisters in Christ. Study the Word. Pray. All of those things are important. But remember that if, if God began the work, He will finish it. Just be patient with yourself. Be patient with one another. Now, here's the thing. To some of you, that all of what I just said may sound like an excuse for people to claim Jesus and then do whatever they want to do. And this is the tension in the Bible, right? The Bible is like, here's sin, this is bad, repent of it. But there's forgiveness and acceptance and adoption in Christ. Right? And so, we hear these things and we start to think, well, does that mean I can just check a box and say, I'm a Christian, Jesus, please forgive me. And now I'm good. I can write my check. I can go do whatever I want because I'm saved. Right? And that raises a very important question. How do you know if God is really at work in your life? How do you know God is really at work in your life? Or am I just using the gospel as an excuse to do whatever I want to do? Because I'm forgiven. How do you know the difference? It's very simple. The answer is worship. The answer is worship. If your desire to worship God is not growing over time, then you are not growing. It doesn't get more simple. I mean, we, we stress over that question. And it really, according to the Bible, is actually very, very simple. If your worship isn't growing, then you are not growing. The most important result of the gospel working itself out in the life of a Christian is that they want to worship God. 
And of course that means gathered corporate worship, but it also means worshiping Him with your life, right? Work, school, play, sleep, all to the glory of God. But I want you to see how Paul ends. Look at how he ends this section, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Is he done writing the letter? Does the letter end there? No. What is this though? This is right in the middle. He's just talking and then all of a sudden he's just, boom, breaking out in this thing, which we call a doxology. Paul is so moved by his own words explaining what he has in Jesus, thinking about what Jesus has done for him, that he breaks into spontaneous worship in the middle of a letter. And this is how God works. This is how we know. God patiently teaches us two things at the same time. And by teaching us these two things, He makes us more like Jesus. He makes us more dependent on Jesus. And He makes us more grateful for Jesus. And it's very simple. These are the two things. I'm worse than I think I am. But God is better than I think He is. And that's how you grow. Over time, God teaches. I'm worse than I think I am. But God's better than I thought He was. And in some ways, last week's sermon, and some of you struggled with it. It's okay. Last week's sermon and today's sermon are almost like those two lessons side by side. Those two movements of the gospel, if you will. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. God created us. God defines us. He tells us what's wrong with the world. We can accept it or reject it, but it's just news, right? It's true. You can put your fingers in your ears and close your eyes and act like it's not. But God gets to tell us what's right and what's wrong. And the, the bad news is, we're all worse than we think we are. It's far easier for me to look at someone else in their sin and say, at least I'm not that person, than it is for me to look in the mirror. But thankfully, God is also much better than we think He is. How was God able to show mercy and grace to even the worst of sinners? By sending His only Son to die in the place of the worst of sinners. To Him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, You are the King of the ages. You are immortal. You had no beginning. You will have no end. You are invisible. You are the only God. 
And to you belongs all honor and all glory forever and ever. Father, it is indeed so difficult for us to really hear and receive and understand the gospel of grace in a culture that rejects the idea of sin. We would we are taught to believe that do what you want, accept others no matter what they choose to do, and nothing really matters. And that's not true. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal that, that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth, that you would be our vision for a world without death, without sin, without pain. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.